0: Hi, I'm Kevin Kittle, and you're listening to The Cinema Files. If you're a big Star Wars fan like I am, the odds are at one point or another you've thought, you know, the only thing that can make Star Wars cooler is if they occasionally got naked. If so, you'll love this interview with Russell Beatty, the creator of The Empire Strips Back, a traveling burlesque extravaganza that will be premiering in Arizona on April 2nd. Hey Kevin, this is uh, Russell Beatty from The Empire Trips Back. How are you? Hey Russell, uh, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. So you uh, you're calling us all the way from uh, Australia? I am. It's uh, it's eight forty a.m. here in the in the morning. Oh man, <laughs> you from I'm ringing you from the future. Wow, that's awesome. Very sci-fi of you. Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> so you you are the creator the the mind behind the Star Wars parody burlesque show the Empire strips back. That's correct. You know the first question I'm sure you get all the time is how did you come up with this idea? But for anyone that grew up with the original saga, I, I think it's rather obvious. Definitely, that's a thing. Like everyone does ask me that, but to me it was kind of a no brainer because it's
1: such a you know if you're going to parody something, you parody the world's biggest uh, pop culture. Um, entity that to me seems like a no-brainer when
0: I was starting these uh, parody shows.
1: I just said I had done a number of parody shows, but my first one was
0: Star Wars. Oh, okay. So this is one of your uh, newer creations then? Uh, No, this was the first, but it's just the biggest and it just keeps on going. The others um, are
1: fun and different, but they're just, they're not Star Wars. So that's why I was kind of backing up that to me it was the most obvious and there's, there's a reason it is the most successful.
0: Right. Now, have you always been a fan of Star Wars in general?
1: I have. I've been a fan of pop culture in general. So Star Wars, uh, Star Trek, you name it, I've kind of consumed it when I was younger and still to this day. Um, But Star Wars very much, um, I've been a fan since I was a kid to the point. People always ask me, what was the first Star Wars film you've seen? And I said, I can't actually remember. It's just always been there. That's a constant in my life.
0: So, yeah, it's all blurred. I have a magazine in front of me that I bought on the internet years ago called Wookie Rotica. Now, that's actually yeah. a creation of yours as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I started working on Wookie Rotica before the show, to tell you the truth. I was going to do a Wookie Rotica, and then while I was making it and making the costumes for it and whatnot, I was like, I should just do a show because I've been doing burlesque for 20 years, and I was doing burlesque shows at the time. But I was making Wookiee here, and I was like, I'm doing all this work. Why don't I just make a show out of it as well? Um, and so they were kind of in tandem,
0: those two. Ah, I, yeah, I was wondering about that because, I, again, I, I lost track. I've had this for a number of years. I couldn't remember exactly when I got it. Yeah, you know, I've probably, been out for about five years. So. Five years, okay. And that leads into another question. Um, one of the things I think that sets uh, The Empire Strips back from what I've seen is the uh, the production quality, like the the costumes, the attention to detail, and it's something that's very uh, uh, noticeable in the in the uh, the magazine as well. It's so you created these costumes, or you, did you bring in teams of people to work on?
1: Um, just uh, depends. Like I've created some of them. I've pretty much designed most of them, um, what I wanted and whatnot, and then I bring in different people to um, help me um, bring them to life. So. You know, in some cases, like, right. Um, like let's talk about Jabba the Hut, for example. In the, in the show, Jabba the Hut is quite tricky because I wanted a life size Jabba the Hut, but touring a life size Jabba the Hut logistically is quite hard. Yeah. Um, so I sat down and I kind of designed uh, what I wanted and I kind of worked out how I was going to make it so we could actually tour it. First, from a logistic point of view, and then we worked on it from a you know um, uh, kind of creative point of view, like as far as the look of it and how to kind of um, bring Jumper to life. And the way I created that was a design that his base would then pop up and become storage for other props. Uh-huh. Um, he'd be inflatable with two skins, so it'd give him still a kind of look that he is real. Um, but inside you'd have a metal skeleton, so Princess Lake could climb all over him. Um, then we'd have another puppet of Salacious Crumb next to him and then his big um, hooker pipe next to him, um, as well which actually puffs smoke and everything like that. But all that is designed so it can all kind of fold into each other and not actually take up hardly any room on the, um, in the truck because on stage, what I just described to you is four metres and you got two feet over there, so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um it's probably sort of about sixteen feet by um twelve feet, you know? Right. And then probably another in kind of the floor space. So the way we kind of designed that was that so it could travel really easy and, you know, we could pack everything in there into um one truck. Um so that kind of once I designed that I then go and talk to different um Manufacturers like welders and puppet makers and carpenters and different skill sets to help bring those things to life. So there's a lot of um, a lot of thinking what goes into the props and costumes beyond the initial creative aspect.
0: All
1: mm-hmm. logistics involved as well.
0: Yeah. Now that's something ahead uh, of my notes here. I wanted to mention because I was really impressed watching the trailer. There's a, you get a small glimpse of Jabba the Hutt and you get, like. I've never seen like a life-size, moving, of uh, the Hutt before, especially on stage in a burlesque show. So it's it's very impressive.
1: Well, that's the one thing I want to evoke is I want to bring some of these things that have only existed on the screen. Well, if someone makes them, they're usually rigid and they don't move. They don't interact. They don't have any character. Um, mm-hmm. I want to bring that to the stage and really kind of. In that wonder of what Star Wars is all about and reinvoke all those, you know, childhood feelings of experiencing something you haven't seen before. So, you know, one of the things we have in the show is the tonton. Yes. What a girl writes onto stage. And in my head I was like, We can do this, we can do this. Even though it's only ever existed as claymation form. Right. We still figure out a way how we're gonna do that. And obviously we use the magic of theatre where there's a little bit of suspension of disbelief. You know, but um For us, we wanted to just get as close as we could to the world of Star Wars because it would help us sell the jokes and set up the (laughs) satire of um, Star Wars a lot better. You know, a a punchline is only as good as, you know, the setup. Right. And for us, the setup is to make sure there's no um, time wasted in them, um, not, you know, using their imagination to think this is, you know, anything but. An extension of Star Wars
0: universe. Mm -hmm.
1: Why, yeah? Why being an obvious parody, of course.
0: Right, and and that's something. There's kind of this fine line between uh, satire and parody, but it's also as accurate as possible. And you know, have you had much trouble with the House of Mouse recently?
1: No, uh, not really, because everywhere we're quite everything we do, we make sure it's branded that this is a parody. I don't think anyone in the right mind thinks this is a, um, an official Disney um, or Star Wars release <laughs> in anything right. we do. Um, but also, you know, it's a show made by fans for fans. And even though it is a little bit naughty because it is burlesque, it's not a good show to show. It's um, just quite, um, it is quite a sophisticated take on it, you know burlesque a night out and we, we can afford to do that because a lot of our um, keys comes from unconventional ways like you know if someone goes to take something off our light um our light in that certain part of the stage and whatnot it is keys in it's true sense but it's also more than just trip keys we have singing dancing um, you know um uh, tableaus we have a whole bunch of different, a lot of comedy. It's a very funny show, and that's what a lot of people don't expect when they um, buy tickets to see how, to experience how funny it is. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, we kind of just try to evoke the old kind of vaudeville and burlesque shows of old, where you used to go, and there was spectacle. There was, you know, it was all on a big stage, where most of burlesque these days don't get that opportunity. They're mostly on small stages. They're in, you know, small clubs, and so oh, when they are on big stage, they're part of a festival where there's not a lot of time to focus on the nuances of lighting and um, stagecraft, where, of course, we have the same show what we tour over and over again, and we tour our own lighting rig, we have the luxury of, you know, really buckling down on certain aspects of the show, which, yeah, don't get a lot of attention in most of our shows.
0: Gotcha. Now, uh, you've been do- doing this for a number of years, and I, I think... The show started off in a very small theater originally, correct? Yeah, hundred seat theater or club, I should say. It wasn't even a theater; it was just a music venue. Wow. So, how, like, what kind of changes? I mean, there's obviously changes, but what kind of uh, changes, improvements, and things have you experienced over the years with this particular show?
1: Well, the first um, first
0: round of costumes were made by me, in my um, garage, out of our uh, plumbing equipment.
1: You know, plumbing supplies. Oh. Um, wow. Yeah, and PVC Parking, which I've um, cut into Stormtrooper armor, And it worked. It was fine. It worked for what it was. And there wasn't as much expectation on the show back then. So it was fine in the 100-seat theatre or music venue. And then we decided we are going to take it on the road because we had it so it was so popular in Sydney. So we'll take it around the country, Australia. And then we had to play bigger venues to kind of make it worthwhile. And then when we probably big stages, we realized, oh, my God, this show looks so small and tiny. (laughs) And um, we did that for about a year and a half, not all the, like, not consecutively, just every every time we went out. And we had all these fan bases, but the whole time I was thinking, I could do this so much bigger. I could do this so much better. And, um, yeah, when it came time um, to play one of our small stages again, I... At the end of the run, I packed up everything and I said I was going to take it to the storage container to my business partners, but I didn't. I went to the uh, junkyard and destroyed it all. <laughs> Threw it away. Yeah. And that kind of forced us to rebuild the show. Because you know, I, was, I was getting, uh, I, felt like I, was getting I, was, I felt like I was betraying what I could actually do with the show. Like, I have to put on the best version of the show at all times. So I still do it to this day. If I see some way to improve it, I constantly do every tour. Constantly make tweaks and evolve the show because, right? You know, the last version of the show should always be your best version of the show. We, um, yeah, so we rebuilt um, the show and I brought in a lot of oh, people wow. who had actually worked on the Star Wars films to help us to build our R two D two to build a, you know, our Chewbacca costume and whatnot. Um, so a lot of the costumes and um, props are actually
0: made by oh, people who worked on the. Uh, films. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure everyone appreciates that.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's the kind of level I wanted.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Obviously we make our alterations, you know, cause Arthur got custom aspects to him. He uh, has strobe lighting built into him and he can, uh, he can make it rain by, um, shooting, um, hundred dollar bills up into the air.
0: Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so when you, when you were brainstorming ideas for the show, either at the beginning or now, were there some ideas you had that you threw out for maybe being too weird or maybe the opposite were certain ones you thought, I don't know, and then you were surprised how well they worked?
1: Um, well, yeah, we had definitely some stuff in there, that I've kept in there for a while, but it kind of, something has aged out. Like, you know, we, we used to have the Tuscan Raiders in there, but we just had to also, the shells was getting so big and so long that I had to kind of make some cuts. So we did cut out the... We used to have the Tuscan Raiders, I and mean, they're no longer in the show. Um, we also used to have Jar Jar Binks
0: in the show. Oh, my God.
1: And
0: yeah, he used to come on stage... Did, did Jar Jar strip?
1: No, well he used to come on stage to take over the stage and just be annoying and get
0: to dance the <laughs> Queen song.
1: Can't stop me now. Um, and then the MC would be trying to get him off stage. And then it came to the point where the MC would come on with the... Uh, Double barrel shotgun and shoot him, and we used to use a real shotgun with blank. <laughs> oh my god! Wow. And um, I got to the point where I had to kind of stop using because you know the, you know the just in the state of the world having a shotgun on stage kind of <laughs> wasn't uh, wasn't appropriate, and also the audience now, that's kind of coming through, grew up on Jar Jar Binks, and they a lot of them love Jar Jar. You know the kids who yeah. were once you know, the little kids when the prequels came out, Jar was was part of their trilogy. So we, we as like anything, even though we mainly focus on the original trilogy, uh, we are aesthetic, Star Wars is for everybody. Mm-hmm. So we felt like we were betraying people's fates in Star Wars because at the end of the day, our show is not political. It's not, it's just two hours of escapism where everyone can come together and just, to get the woes of the world and celebrate their love for Star Wars and remind them what it was like to be kid when they went to sell um those films, because so those films are quite simple, yeah, and there was nothing else like them back in the day, so that kind of love, what you know helped like grab the attention of the world those films and become what that is at the moment. Um, the love for those original films is fairly
0: pure, and we try to retain that with um, the love for our show so. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. I think you've touched on this a little bit. Is this the show has something for everyone? Um, it's not just women getting on stage and you know getting in and out of costume. It it appeals to all the sexes.
1: Yeah, so our audience is like
0: sixty percent female, <laughs> and oh wow,
1: um, yeah, we get a lot of couples and a lot of big groups of people coming along. You know, so it's a big shared experience this show, like it's it's like an event you build your mind around, so you go and meet up for dinner, and then go, go to the show and then they go to the afterwards but it's just a big celebration and when we came to America um, about six months ago, I think um, it was, we were generally surprised at how much the American audiences took to the show to the point that we couldn't even hear ourselves on stage at some point because the cheers were so loud from it, but yeah, it's just, it's just you know, something which just lets you be unabashedly, you know, it just lets you enjoy your love for Star Wars without kind of judging or without thinking about anything else and you just kind of get lost, in, um, just for two hours. And, you know, I always say it's kind of like a kid's show for adults (laughs) and it kind of sounds weird when you're saying it, like based on a burlesque show, but I've got no other way of describing it. You know, it's the same kind of simple entertainment you'd get when you're um, a child when you go and see, Mm -hmm. you know, a show at the local mall or something like that. The nature of it is, yeah, it is a burlesque show, so it's not for <laughs> kids. But there's still the same beats are there. You know, it's something that you can easily digest. There's something for everybody. Each act is like a roller coaster, so you know we build the audience up in certain parts, we bring them back down in other parts. You know, and that's just the nature of the show. It's a, it's two hours well spent, and um, you get lots of a lot for the ticket
0: price. Oh, absolutely. When I when I first heard this was coming to Arizona, which is where we're located, I immediately bought some tickets. So I've been looking looking forward to it. I've you know I've heard stories when you're traveling other parts of the world. And you just uh, I believe you hadn't made it out to Arizona before uh, this showing in April, correct? Right?
1: No, no. We, we basically we um, we came over just did six shows in California previously, just to kind of dip our toe in the water, just to see that the show would translate. And it kind of did immensely. And, yeah, we ended up um, hooking up with a lot of local promoters and whatnot to help us present this massive tour. We're on the road for five weeks straight, you know, on the in-tour buses, going from city to city, doing five shows a week. So it's going to be interesting because we've, uh, we've never actually pushed a show this hard before. But we've, um, we just finished an Australian tour, which was the biggest we've ever done in Australia. And it just keeps growing. The show just keeps growing cause, um you know, everyone, we've got a good reputation. And in Australia, we have people come to see the show like up to five times. Wow. Uh,
0: is there a particular favorite actor character of yours in the show? Probably,
1: it's hard. It's hard to say because we have so many, um, so many acts which are all so different. So if I pick one, it's kind of like, yeah, it is hard. But right. the one that probably gets the most reaction, what people don't expect, is the Emperor. I always love hearing people's reactions to the Emperor. They've never seen it
0: before, oh.
1: and I'm not going to spoil it here. But it's, um, yeah, that kind of <laughs> that gets ingrained in people's memories for sure.
0: Yeah, that that's that alone is a great tease. Uh, so we'll, we'll be looking <laughs> forward to that. <laughs> well, Russell, thank you again very much for your time. Thank you for creating this amazing show as well, and we we look forward to checking it out here.
1: Thank you very much for your time too. All right,
0: thanks. And may the force be with you. Likewise. Bye.